0: Today on the podcast, you'll hear a message from Paul Young. Paul is best known as the author of the best-selling book, The Shack. His teaching reveals his passion to help others find emotional healing by re-experiencing the love of God. Let's dive into the message.
1: You're not embarrassed by the mess I've made. You'll never turn your face away you'll never ever be ashamed of me and when i cry you will hear paraphrase of a hit song and we'll talk about that in a few minutes i get asked fairly often after these years since i wrote the shack would i change anything sure There's always little bits and nuances, things that you would change. But there is one big mistake I made in the shack. And I'm kinda glad because it gives me an opportunity to talk about it. There is a scene when Mackenzie first goes into the transformed shack. This is, he's been on the porch. Papa's come through the door. Jesus is there. Saru is collecting his tears. He doesn't have a clue where he is. He doesn't understand that this is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are coming out from within his own mess, the mess that he's made and the mess that others have brought to the table. And he goes into this place and the first thing that he looks for is that spot near the fireplace where Missy's blood stain should be. And it's not there. That was a mistake. I understand kind of how I was thinking about that scene, but I think I got it wrong. That blood stain should be there. Just because we've worked through a lot of our stuff doesn't mean that the evidence of it just somehow disappears. It works differently than that. God works differently inside of our losses than that. You know, just because you've worked through grief say at the loss of a child, or the death of a loved one, or some great injustice, doesn't mean that the evidence of it dis- disappears. It somehow gets woven into who we've become and who we are. It becomes part of the sound of who we are. Let me give you what I think is the greatest example of this, and one that for a lot of people is hard to digest, and that is the cross. The cross stands as the epic symbol of our faith, of Christianity, of Jesus. But this seems like such an icon of devastation. So here is a good question. Who originated the cross? John, in his first epistle He is trying to describe in one sentence what we learned from Jesus, and this is what he says. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Explain to me how the cross could originate in God. If God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, and you have this torture machine, you have to understand that a cross has only one Design, only one intent, and that is to keep a human being alive as long as possible, in as much pain as possible, and then forcibly extract their very breath, their spirit from them. How could that originate in God? It originated in us. We brought the cross to the table, we're the ones that were going to create this torture machine. And God knew this. Do you think that when God created, that there were innumerable ways that God could have? Of course, he chooses the best. We're in a very good creation. We're the best, but it seems obvious that there was no way to create this high order of being called a human being who had the ability to say no. There was no way to create this being without them saying no. And so scripture says multiple times that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. That this was absolutely anticipated. We bring the cross to the table. We're the ones that poured our wrath on him. We're the ones that turned our face away from him. This is not sinners in the hands of an angry God. This is God in the hands of an angry bunch of sinners. Us. One of the most precious things to me that Jesus ever communicated is this cry from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People think that somehow God the Father poured out his wrath on his son in order to be right with other people. Now I grew up in a world where my relationship with my dad mirrored that exactly. My dad didn't have the chip for being a dad. He didn't know how to love, he didn't know. That had been broken in him way before I showed up. And my theology then began to match my experience with my dad. Jesus was there to save me, yes, but save me from God the Father. Because God the Father was the darkness behind that was willing to pour his wrath out on his son in order to be right with other people. That's sheer mythology and an absolute lie and we write songs as if it's true, and it's not. But people will say, well, how about my God? My God, why have you forsaken me? Wasn't there a split somehow within the very dynamic of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Think about that. You think that you can take this great dance of other-centered, self-giving love, and you can tear it apart. You think we're that powerful. You think that somehow we were able to get inside that space and rip The Trinity to shreds. And where was the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit trying to protect the Son from an abusive father? Is the Holy Spirit trying to tell the Father or is just silent when the abuse is taking place? What kind of an imagination do we have about this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Doesn't that indicate that there was a separation between God the Father and God the Son, that God, had to turn his face away from his son, that God cannot look upon sin, and therefore Jesus is now sin. But what happened? Did Jesus stop being God? How did God, who is Jesus, stop being God for a moment because God cannot look on sin? Where was Jesus? What happened? Isn't this confusing to you? It's incredibly confusing to me. So what's the answer here? And the answer is embedded in why I think I made a mistake In this scene in the shack. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have always been engaged in this great circle of unrelenting love. And this is what Jesus knows, but he also knows where he's going. He's going to the cross. He is going to put himself in the hands of sinners, and we're going to heap on him every brutality we can imagine in an attempt to destroy life himself. And he knows he's got to go to the bottom of where we're lost, to the very bottom. And the very bottom is we believe that we have separated ourselves from God. We believe that we have been powerful enough to leave the circle of the great dance and get out of there somewhere separated. And he knows he's going there and He doesn't want to go there. He has only known the love and the affection of the Father. He has only known the ability to hear and encounter the love and the embrace of the Holy Spirit. And now He's going to go to where we live, and that is in a sense of abandonment, in a sense of detachment, in a sense of separation. He's going to go there and experience our loss, our imprisonment, our devastation, and he goes to the cross. And as he is hanging on there, he cries out a hit song, and a lot of people don't know that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is the first lines of a hit song. Truly, the Psalms are hit songs. And you know when you hear a hit song and somebody sings the first line the whole song begins to play through your mind and on the cross Jesus cries the first line of Psalm 22 my God my God why have you forsaken me and I love that because that's my cry my whole life I was saying God where are you I can't hear you I can't feel your presence where are you have you abandoned me Have you forsaken me? See, that's my cry. And Jesus drops into not just my loss, but the loss of the entire human race, every human being who has ever been conceived. And he cries our cry. He can't sense the affection of the Father. But guess what? He knows the whole psalm. He doesn't know just the first line. And you know, I told you I was paraphrasing a hit song I was paraphrasing Psalm 22. Halfway through, here's what it says. You, God, you do not despise the affliction of the afflicted, nor, listen, nor will you turn your face from him. And when he cries, you will hear. The very last verse of Psalm 22, the crescendo, guess what it says? He finished it. He finished it. Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. Psalm 23 is the psalm of the grave. And Psalm 24 is the psalm of the resurrection. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But not for one second did he believe that his father had abandoned him because he would have never said, so into your hands I commit my spirit. I am not letting this machine take my breath. So I will give you everything that I have left and that is My very breath, my spirit, I give to you. Paul the Apostle, writing about this scene, answers the question definitively. Where was God the Father when Jesus was hanging on the cross? And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. The Father was in Christ. So not only did Jesus take the Father and the Spirit into the depths of our lostness, but he gathers up all of us in that and raises us up out of that. That's all 2 Corinthians chapter five. This is a God who has gone to the depths. This is why there should still be a blood stain. And here's the beauty of what God does. He not only climbs into our torture machines or the messes that we bring to the table or what other people have done to us or the abuse that we've experienced, He not only climbs in there, but then He begins to build something alive from it, inside of it. And so from this cross, this torture device, God not only climbs onto it willingly in order to rescue us and find us and redeem us and reconcile us, But he then transforms that machine into an icon and a monument of grace. So precious to us that we'll wear it on our rings and around our necks. A torture machine because it stands forever as the declaration, there is nothing that I can bring to the table that is bigger than God. There is nothing that can be done to me that God can't climb into the middle of and begin to grow something alive in it. My story is a story of brokenness. The shack is one of those evidences that God can climb into lostness and brokenness and devastation and abuse and out of that create an icon and a monument of grace. Every one of us will be, if we're not already, an icon and a monument of grace. This is a God who takes our worst and plants a flag in it, and stays in it in order to transform it. This is the God who comes to find us in all of our lostness. This is a God who has fully joined us and never let us go. To the praise of his glory, amen. So we've just had this large conversation about the cross. And the question is raised, is God really this good? Could God be possibly this good? And here's my question for you to think about. Does this change the way you look at God? And if so, how?
0: Thanks for joining us today.